welcome to Dev Mode FM, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Seattle. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. And today we have on Fred Schott from the Pika Project. Fred, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And we're going to be talking today about specifically the uh, Pika web package as well as the Pika project. But, you know, why don't you give us a summary? So if you were out smuggling drugs on the Ozarks and a fellow smuggler kind of walked up to you and said, hey, what is this Pika project anyway? Like, <laughs> what, what would you tell them? First of all, I'd be amazed that they not only knew what it was, but recognized me by face as the Pika person. I know. Um, but uh, yeah, if we were having that conversation, I'd say, well, Pika is a project to make modern JavaScript more accessible. And it does that in a couple of different ways. But that is the kind of driving force behind the project. Well, that's perfect, because if you're smuggling stuff, you don't have time to stick around for any long-winded explanation of stuff. So very concise. <laughs> I like it. That's perfect. You'd, yeah. make a good, you'd make a good smuggler, Fred. Yeah, I'm trying to get out of that situation right now. I don't know what I'm smuggling. I don't know why I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I take a step backwards. I feel like we're playing D&D at this point. <laughs> Challenging, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the way that I discovered you and also the Pika project is through this uh, Pika web. Uh, tell us exactly what that is as well. Like, what is Pika web? Yeah, so Pika web is probably one of our larger projects at this point. And it's okay. essentially a way to install and run a web app without having to use a bundler. Most websites or all of us today, we use bundlers as a way to get essentially our code that we've written up onto the web in a way that actually runs very nicely on the web. I don't think I even do websites anymore. I think I just build bundlers. Yeah, essentially we're all, <laughs> the, the goal is no longer to build a site, it's to build a JavaScript bundle and then to ship that. As soon browser. as I've got my build system working, I consider it done. You know? Yeah, that's, that's, that is modern web development in a nutshell. But that's, that's um, kind of horrible, right? Well, so it, it affects a few different kind of use cases, I think, poorly in that it works great for really complex, really well-developed companies, right? Like Facebook, Google, they love this, right? Because it lets them, you know, nerd out on the Webpack config, get it right. just as optimized. They have the resources to optimize in a way that a smaller company or a smaller project or a open source project would. And especially for new developers, right? They don't, you know, it's a lot to ask to say, oh, great, welcome to web development, you know. We're, we hope you're happy. Um, here's the basics. Oh, by the way, before you can, can run Hello World, here's this thing called Webpack, and here's this config file. And you don't know what a lot of these concepts mean, but you're going to have to set them up just to run anything. Yeah, and and that's why a lot of these ecosystems, whether it's Vue or React, are coming with their own CLIs as kind of layers on top of Webpack. Yeah, essentially the way to help the new user getting started right now is to configure Webpack for them give them a Webpack config that's ready to use. Um, that that works. And that's certainly, you know, we use Create React app. Um, I use it all the time. Um, but as a starting place, now you're looking at a, you know, 200 megabyte install with, you know, some thousand number of dependencies. In terms of getting started quickly, it basically just takes the complexity and instead of solving, it just kind of tries to hide it as much as it can. Um, so yeah. you do get that experience of, okay, great. I run NPM start and it works, but behind the scenes, it's doing a ton. And if you want to start making changes, um, you essentially have to eject or do something similar where now, great, you're on your own. Um, so it's kind of you have to choose between these two options. Um, neither yeah, of them are great for the beginner. And, and that's where it gets horrible, right? So those those tooling layers work fantastic. 
until something breaks or until you want to do something more in depth. And then you start peeling back the layers. And I can see a lot of people being like, oh my God. You just right. have to go to NY Studio. For- it's a five minute read. You can figure out that 3,500 line webpack config very, <laughs> yeah, very yeah. easily. Right. So yeah. And I think that's a perfect example, not to put you on the spot, but I've seen that, uh, that webpack config that you made, right? The super powerful um, kind of does everything for you one. Right. Um, I played around with that a bit. That is a about a minute and a half, two minute install time um, to add 2,000 packages and your final node modules folder <laughs> is 500 megabytes. Oh. Um, and when you run NPM audit, there are five vulnerabilities in it. Nice. Yeah. And that and I that is, I think, one of the better examples I've seen, right? Where it's like, this does everything for you, but that's the cost, right? This big, complex blob. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the, the genesis of it, right? So we had a specific thing in mind that we wanted to do. And we're like, okay, we're going to build it to do this and decided to document it as we went along. But yeah, I mean, trust me, like looking back, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like I can't imagine like the average person would not have the time to invest in doing this, right? Or, right. And, and why would they want to or why should they? Right. So PicoWeb kind of started as a, and I let me give a, I'll give a quick history lesson basically, which is that it started with the question of why we even use bundlers. Like why, why does any of this exist today? Sure. Um, and it really came out of what we all wanted was we want to use NPM. Um, this node ecosystem with NPM has kind of exploded. It's growing and growing and growing. This is about, you know, four years ago, five years ago. And there's all these dependencies there that this node community has built their JavaScript. They should run on the browser. We want to use them. And essentially, Browserify and then later Webpack came along as solutions to that problem, where we finally had one unified JavaScript ecosystem. It worked by install for Node, but to run on the web, you had to add tooling. So not with any real intention, Node became this first-class citizen of NPM, and then the web became the second-class citizen where, yeah, it'll work, but you need tooling, bundling, et cetera, et cetera. Which is weird, which is weird, right? Because, uh, I mean... Uh, Node is is awesome and all that, but really the bulk of the developers are on the front end. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I can't remember the numbers, but I know npm has done surveys where they're like blown away by you know it's something in the high like I think ninety or eighty. I don't don't fact check me on that, but there's a high number of developers that are using npm purely for front end or at least right. mainly for front end. So why is it so backwards? So it just npm was so so easy. <laughs> um, right. I don't know if anyone's ever used Bower. Bowser Bower tried to be like. NPM oh, yeah. for the web only. Mm-hmm. You still had to like maintain these paths to your uh, dependencies. There was no real like resolution if you had multiple dependencies or multiple versions. Um, it just was, I having used it, it was not as simple as NPM just being like, boop, install, runs. It does the magic for me. People love that. And it, it just kind of took off. But the downside there is that it was written for Node originally. So the entire ecosystem was written as this uh, module format called CommonJS. So if you've seen the you know, module.exports equals or the require function, that's all a part of Node's module system that, again, the web just adopted as a way to start using NPM. Man. Um, the problem there is that that doesn't actually run on the web. Yeah, I, I pro- it's not all doom and gloom. I pro- I'll get to the, the sunny future um, in a second. But essentially, that was a problem. Is how do you take this module system that doesn't run on the web, that mm-hmm. is already baked into NPM, and get it to run on the web? And the bundler was the solution to that. Instead of having to worry about how different modules load each other, you just concatenate it onto one giant blob and now imports can happen statically because they're within that file, or sorry, synchronously. Hmm. Um, but in the last few years, ES modules have taken off, so they're this new syntax. Um, they actually, I think, were a part of the ES 2015 standard. So they've been around for a while, but are finally really picking up steam. Node's been bouncing around its implementation of this new module system. What Pico Web does is it looks and then says, and actually Pico Project as a whole started as a way to just find these packages. Um, 
there was no index of modern ES module packages until Pika came along. So if you go to pikapackage.com, it's a search like Google or NPM's website search where you can just basically search and it will only give you packages that were built intentionally for the web and they use this modern syntax. Um, the syntax that can run natively in the browser, it can be a tree shaken a little bit better. It's just kind of like a more modern web focused syntax. Yeah, and that's the ESM module spec, right? Yeah, exactly. And the um, funny or the interesting thing, or maybe the funny thing, I don't know, but that module spec has been decided upon, but the module loading has not. Is that correct? The module, yeah. So here's where it gets tricky. And uh, there's some different projects solving this, but it's a pretty hairy issue, which is that the way that they launched it um, was that we're not going to try and solve the, when I write import, you know, foobar by name, um, or I'm trying to import react by name. Mm -hmm. um, what does that do, right? On the on NPM, you have this whole node modules tree um, and node does a really kind of, really heavy duty lookup where it actually looks, okay, you put in React. I'm going to look in this folder. I'm going to look in that folder with this extension. It tries like eight different extensions, or not eight, three different extensions, a bunch of different folders until it finds React and then it loads it. That wouldn't really work on the web because you'd be doing these lookups that on the file system are quite quick. On the browser are quite slow because each lookup would be another yeah, um, it could be request. really costly. Yeah, yeah. so essentially they said, we're just going to punt that down the road. We're only going to ship with relative import paths. And I, and um, I thought so that you, was really weird because they're like, hey, here's this awesome new module spec. How do you load it? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's It kind of shows how bought into NPM we are, where it's like, well, how do you load your own files by relative path? How do you load dependencies? You can't. Is that a blocker? And the answer was for a lot of people, yeah, that is, of course. Every Who's building a website completely from scratch, no dependencies today? Um, right. That's probably a pretty short list. So what Pico Web lets you do is it kind of revisits this problem of how do you run dependencies on the web now through this more modern lens. You know, It's no longer trying to solve the problem that existed back in 2013. It's trying to solve the problem that exists today. Um, and that is how do you run a modern dependency in the web? Even if it has this modern syntax, you can't import dependencies by name. And the way it solves that is by basically taking the dependencies themselves and turning them into single files. So take your React, um, let's say they publish React, and it's actually a code base of about, like, you know, let's say 50 different files all in one package. What Pico Web does is it takes all those files and essentially bundles them, which is funny because it's like this anti bundling bundler. It takes all those files and turns them into one React.js file. Hmm. And again, because importing by path, by file works, now in your web app, you can just say import react.js. And now you actually are importing the entire React package in your web app using native ES modules. Yeah. And the way I have not used this, okay, <laughs> but I have read over the, the documentation. I thought it was really interesting. It looks like the way that it does it is you basically run it and it scans through your package.json to see the stuff that you're using. And side by side, your node modules folder, it creates a web modules folder, right? Yep. Yep, that's exactly it. So it basically takes your node modules folder, um, analyzes it given the different dependencies that you want to now install as web dependencies, and basically just resolves them into, you know, again, it's like a, a different way to bundle, um, where it bundled okay. by dependency. So think of those dependencies as your entry points. You want a file for each dependency. And then basically those are the only files you want. If there's some shared dependencies between the two, let's say the two of your web dependencies share a common package, It'll actually be smart enough to pull that out into a chunk, similar to how bundling does tree shape or not tree shaking. Sorry, um, code splitting today. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a it's it's really the implementation is quite simple because I get to 
pull in, you know, basically standing on the shoulder of these giant projects like Rollup, which are already built for this use case, it just kind of flips the problem on its head. And I don't actually want to bundle my app. I want to write my app as this really simple, I don't want to build stuff if I don't need it. I don't need Webpack if I don't need it. I don't need this whole, you know, 400 megabyte node modules tree. I just want to load my simple web dependencies and then run that directly in the browser. It, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, if I, if I have five different packages that I want to use on the front end and they all use Lodash, it will basically code split Lodash out? Yes, Lodash would be a common chunk of those. And here's the interesting thing is that tree shaking works to an extent. So tree shaking oh, is really? a concept of, I want to get rid of all the parts of my bundles basically that don't actually ever get run. So it can be smart enough to analyze you only use the add uh, method on Lodash, right? You only use this one or two things, but Lodash is this giant package. Do you really want to bring all that into your app? Because it doesn't know how you're calling these dependencies, it's just installing them, right? So it just knows that you want it. It doesn't know what you want specifically out of Lodash. If you depend on something, it has a hard time tree shaking it. Hmm. But if something is dependent inside the bundle, then it does know, or inside the dependency, then it can analyze that because it's analyzing a specific usage of that common dependency. So we have a few different projects. It's still early days. You know, is it worth a step where we analyze your app to see what you use and then somehow inform to tree shake that even further? Um, you know, this project's only in the early days, so we're we're still looking into how that all might work. But the the end game basically is I declare the stuff that I want in my package.json, and then I run Pico Web, and then I just import the resulting JavaScript, and everything just works. Everything just works being served statically. No build step required after that original install. Right. So and we have some examples tag, of that. I slap a script tag in my HTML and it just loads, right? It just loads. And yeah, everything just works. ES support, ESM support has existed in most modern browsers for a few years now even. So mm -hmm. really IE 11 is the last kind of, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, the last uh, holdout on this. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have IE 11 support needed, that, that can be an issue. Um, although there are some interesting projects now to go back and polyfill, essentially support um, ES module and dynamic imports in IE 11. So now Matt and I were talking about this earlier on. And Matt, you had something I think kind of interesting to say about PicoWeb and what it ended up being. <laughs> I don't know if it's interesting as much as embarrassing. But once I looked at it, um, this is how I thought bundling worked when I first started looking at it, um, which is that, you know, basically the goal is to, to include the packages I want to be able to from NPM. Um, and then, you know, write JavaScript that I'm new to and, and have it all yeah. kind of work. Very no, that well. is that is such a great observation because that is actually the problem that most of us went to bundling to solve is right. that these dependencies are written in a format. I can write the modern thing, but how do I get these old things kind of pulled into the new modern world? Right. So part of that was just a discovery problem. So that's why the Pika package.com website was created. Just there are 50,000, 53,000 packages now that are written as ESM. They're out there and they're all really, you know, tend to be smaller and faster. Um, so using this index, you can search and find them. And then step two is, okay, great. I found them. Now, how do I install them? How do I run them? And how do I get rid of this whole world of tooling that I actually don't need? If I still want it, if I still want to optimize to my heart's content, pull in whatever tools you want. You know, we're not, we're not against bundling. It's just we're against it as a required step, you know, bundle because you want to, not because you need to is the motto. If I'm a uh, not maybe a, a bleeding edge, uh, waking up and thinking and react kind of a developer, um, and I'm I'm I've struggled through Andrew's Webpack article and I finally got it working <laughs> in my own you know the brochure sites I'm building for for clients, um, and I'm I'm looking at something like I don't know if you're familiar with Laravel Mix, 
um, but it's just kind of a uh, an abstraction on top of Webpack that makes it um, much more straightforward or simple to oh, use for most use cases. Um, so all I want is to be able to use Webpack and and include NPM modules. Um, and you know I, there are different projects I've seen Jetpack, and there are a few others that just abstract. Um, webpack away a little bit so you, mm. you, you can touch neutrino, it without touching it new, yeah neutrino is another yeah. one we talked about that um yeah. so if i'm you know uh trying to figure out where to spend my energy just to have the stuff work um why might i want to consider uh, working with pika instead of something that abstracts webpack um with a seemingly simpler interface or how might i you know compare the two yeah, no, that's a great that's a great kind of point. Is where do you get started as a beginner um, or as someone who's just looking at you know the JavaScript fatigue problem where there's all these yeah. different tools. How do I know which one to take? Um, I would say I would knowing now what I know about you know this project and my experience with other Webpack wrappers, where essentially they work to a point. Um, they work until you need something that isn't on the the golden path, right? Right. Um, or you know they are easy to use until you need something that isn't really that easy to do in the world of Webpack. Um, it is, you do kind of get down this road that then you're stuck in the world where you now need tooling to solve a problem. Um, what I like about Pika Web is that it's just this first piece, right? So the idea is I want to import, um, I want to rely on an NPM package. I use Pika Web and I get the package. That's one problem solved. Um, you can basically start there and see how far it takes you. So pikapackage.com is built still with Pika, Pika Web. We definitely eat our own dog food. Um, you know, it means that you, you know, you don't get this full, um, I'd say optimization is something that is still kind of not as well supported as just the get started use case. Um, so Pika, you know, Pika package, it's small and it's quick and it's simple. So we actually don't get a lot of value out of, okay, well, let's go even further and, and concatenate every file into one or something like that. Um, we actually are able to get a lot of benefit out of now the entire site is served. It is, you know, you get view source, you get these really nice, clean error messages. You don't have to click through um, back into your code editor, you know, the way the Create React app uh, error page works. It's basically just a good getting started kind of first step into web development, where then if you need something that it's not providing, you can either go find that tool directly. So let's say now I want to write in TypeScript. Great, add TypeScript. And you still don't really need to add Webpack to do that. Or if you want something that only Webpack can provide, great, add Webpack. And the transform is pretty simple to move towards Webpack. Um, easier to move into the world than out of it. I think that's how I'd summarize it. Is it, is it safe to say that one of its core features is, is all the stuff it's not doing? That was <laughs> like, such a better way to say what I just rambled about for a minute. <laughs> I'm writing that down. That was so good. I, I have only simple thoughts. It's so <laughs> a limiting problem. Well, no, that's a very, very well put. That's the funny thing about Matt's uh, observation on this is that initially when he uh, heard about Webpack or whatever, and he was just like, oh, well, this is going to do kind of what PicoWeb actually does, right? And it reminds me, or I, I would imagine it's kind of analogous. So my kids are of the age where we're starting to have the birds and the bees talk and that kind of stuff. And I I told my kids, like, you know, this is how it works. And they they looked at me like, what? Oh. Like, why would you ever want to do that? And I can imagine Matt <laughs> discovering what you actually need to do with Webpack. He's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, no. <laughs> Are you crazy? 
that this is insane yeah Yeah. i'm the i'm the kind of person that likes to open up a thing and see how it works and with modern (laughs) javascript it's getting i'm like i open up the thing and then just kind of like turn green and then slam it shut uh there's just so much happening um The last five years, I think the solution to like, how do we solve this problem is more tooling. And then how do you solve the problem introduced by tooling? Well, more tooling. Um, (laughs) When, when I, you're uh, on Pika web, there's, there's a chart of the dependencies for, for hello world that when I saw that, I actually sighed. Like I let (laughs) out, like I just felt okay again. (laughs) What's fun is to, and I wish I'd found a way to better do this, to load that somehow in your browser and then read the article. I guarantee you, you'd get to the bottom of the article before that tree was done resolving <laughs> in the visualizer that it used. Yeah, probably. Um, it, it almost crashed on one of my uh, my tries. So, I mean, for me, Webpack kind of reminds me sort of like GCC for the web or LLVM mm-hmm. now for the web from the point of view of it's something that everyone is going to probably be using it at some point. But long ago, like C, C++ and other developers stopped worrying about how GCC and LLVM work, right? Yeah. It was just this kind of magic thing that happened behind the scenes. And it it does seem a little bit insane to me that, you know, the average front-end developer who's just trying to create, like they're just trying to create like this nice brochure site for their client, that they have to be exposed to what would be the equivalent of, you know, configuring their make files for their GCC compiler. Like it's insane, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really... I think that's definitely the path that this keeps going down if it keeps continuing this way, right? Where the solution to our problems is more and more tooling. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can write good tools. We can write tools that abstract away all the crazy things that they're basically doing. If you have to go digging through them, then you're now now you're in the world of magic. Um, and you have right. to be a pretty you know experienced or developer or you have to learn on the fly and it slows down what you're actually trying to do, which is build a website. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what that results in though, and I don't know if you all saw that... Uh, the Great Divide article that came out a few months mm. ago, and it was this yeah, of course, dig yeah. into how there is now this divide, or people are noticing a bigger divide between the front end engineers and the front end. I don't know what the, it, but basically like the front end heavy duty tooling people, um, mm-hmm. and the more design focused. I want to build a thing. I want it to look nice. Um, you know, the UX of web development and how the requirement to know all these tools and to get your hands dirty with these tools is kind of alienated a whole group of web developers who are either just getting started or they're more focused on the design aspect of it. It would be like asking someone who was building a house to understand the the chemistry that's involved in allowing concrete to set. Exactly. You know, like why, yeah. why should that ever concern the person that's building the house? Right. You know? Well, yeah. And then there's some, I, you know, I don't want to, not me, of course, but some people are just dinosaurs that have been building stuff that there, there weren't engineer there. I mean, when, it, you know, just people kind of hacking on simple HTML and CSS right. and continuing along that path, just always building, you know, the front end, and the back end of a website. Like there's so many different uh, aspects to be considered now. It's not only are you wondering about the chemistry of the concrete, but you're used to houses being made of a, a pile of sticks you know, like lean together. Um, and so it's hard to figure out where you live in this like vastly growing landscape. I right. think the Great Divide has offers a great picture of that. So oh. it's it's refreshing to me that tools like this exist and say, no, there, there really is a lot of abstraction that in, if you don't need it, like don't use it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the needing to live in that world that I, I think is the, basically what the project is designed to look at and, and hopefully solve. Um, Again, if everyone wants to, you know, if you want to build an app with server-side rendering and 
this really optimized build pipeline, which ends up giving you like the perfectly um, most performant bundles that you can create and load well, you know, please, by all means. Um, but for a lot of people, that's alienating. That is too much or it just is a distraction from what they're really trying to do, which is create a company, create a site, create some sort of um, experience, some website. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and I do think there will be layers of tooling, right? So there's there are already tools like Webflow, and we're going to be talking to, to Vlad from Webflow soon, that allow you to do some amazingly complicated stuff in terms yeah. of building front-end sites without with this layers of tooling that you're talking about. But for someone that just wants to get up and running, like Pico Web sounds interesting to me from two fronts. So one is actually using it in production where, you know, I'm building a, a client site that it's more than fine, that this is what I use to, to build the few JavaScript packages that are needed. Mm-hmm. And the other is even for something that might end up being more complicated, I could spin something up and start prototyping it like without having to worry about my build system, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we've done with PicoPackage.com, uh, the website, where you know, there probably will be a day where we want to do something really complex and maybe a bundler would make sense. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we want to use Vue for something and and we want to use that special file format, which actually isn't a native file format. It's like the .view uh, right. meant to be bundled kind of file format. Um, mm-hmm. We are not at all blocked from using that. It would be incredibly simple to now move to that world. Um, we just got to make that choice consciously and at a later point where we'd already shipped a ton of value. Yeah, and there are a whole bunch of sites, like there, a huge portion of the web are not apps. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're marketing sites, they're landing pages, they're, they're company kind of, uh, you know, stakes in the, the ground that is the internet and they don't need all of this, yeah. right? They just, they, they might want certain JavaScript packages that get included, but they don't, they don't need this complicated app level tooling right. to build a nice client site that shows off the features of that business. You usually it's completely, it's almost ridiculous that there would be that amount of tooling just to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I've just been reading through and you make a note about that bundlers will get you to maybe the truest, you know, most lean performant bit of JavaScript you can write. But as you were noting with HTTP2, you could kind of preemptively push all of this JavaScript down and perform, possibly even outperform what a, you know, a so-called performant uh, bundled bit of JavaScript would be able to do. Yeah, the performance story on this is really interesting because it's very much your mileage might vary, right? Like it kind of depends on how you built your app. I actually did some uh, some performance tuning with um, a few people, one of who was Sean Larkin, so from the Webpack team, kind of like a performance off, a bake off. Um, Webpack versus PicoWeb, <laughs> who you got? Um, <laughs> what was interesting about that is that, so two things. One was that I think HTTP2 disappointed me a little more than I expected in that mm. I had understood the promise to be you negotiate the connection once and then you can reuse that um, multiple times over. I think that might just be not how any of this works. I think that was on me. That was my bad. Um, Essentially, what we saw when we turned the connection speed down to something like 3G is that the browser had to actually go and basically serially detect and load the longest thread, the longest chain of dependency. So let's say your first HTML entry point, um, you know, the basic kind of shell of your app, it loads some sort of app um, thing. That app thing loads its dependencies. And then let's say it dynamically imports the page based on the URL you're on. That loads its page. That loads its dependencies. You end up actually with a decently long chain there. Um, 
especially if some of those are dynamic imports where it can't kind of just go spread out and load all the things you need. It actually has to, okay, load part of this, execute, dynamically import, start again. Right, and so meanwhile, this, blocking the render the whole time. Yeah, essentially, if you depending on how you built it. Um, right. So it gets some benefits too, where you're actually only shipping what you need, which is much harder to do in Webpack. Right. Mm-hmm. The the default Webpack usage is here's a giant bundle. So what Webpack's kind of their issue that they need they always need to solve and worry about is how do I only ship the smallest amount that I need? Because by default, I'm sending everything, and everything is going to take a long time on a three G connection as well. Even if it is one connection, you're loading everything. But then on the flip side is, okay, now you're only loading what you need, but it's having to be detected kind of as the user loads the app. So I'm really excited about this kind of next step, which is that this whole world of tooling that we have has been based on the idea of a bundler. There's this whole other world of tooling. Like imagine an alternate universe where we never had Webpack and we've, you know, ES modules came out and we immediately started going this direction. Five years later, now what would it all look like? Um, Mm. I'm really curious, like how can you maybe fetch that or detect that map, basically that kind of tree that you know you're going to ship to the user and send that to the browser. So the browser actually knows, great, I'm on this URL. That means I need to load all these things. And then instead of a long chain, it just kind of puts it all into one uh, one series of parallel requests. Hmm. Um, there's like, there's all these questions that we just haven't explored yet. So it's kind of, it's very exciting to see some people start to ask these questions, these problems being explored, and then, you know, revisiting this in a year, two years, three years, and seeing kind of where the world is, where we're at now. Oh, it's still early days. So what are? Yeah, I'm just yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say, I'm just interested. I mean, it, it it didn't click for me until you know you talked about how Node works really well on the back end, and I've never thought, oh yeah, it does. If you just run index.js and do some things, you can get up and running, and everything just works. But there's no easy way to move things and make them web accessible. Um, the way that you know we have a lot of PHP users, and if you're using packages, do you say Composer require? this HubSpot package or whatever you need and it just runs, but it, it, it's still on the back end. Um, there's, I don't know if that analogy holds up, but there's no good way right now with Node to just move things to the front end and let them work without the use of a bundler. But this kind of shortcuts and you know, lets you just start using require statements and running everything right on the front end. It's, it's really cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, well, yeah. I think Fred would say, yes, there is a way to do it, and it's called BicoWeb, right? <laughs> I would definitely plug my own stuff there. Yeah, there's another project <laughs> yeah. as, as well <laughs> called Import Maps, which is another look at this, which is basically adding support for Import React, um, where you actually then tell the browser, what does that mean? And it basically point the browser to the file that is at Import React. Mm. Um, that doesn't solve the, you know, if React is 50, pack- 50 files, you know, each of those would have its own kind of entry. It would, it would not make the chain any shorter. It would perhaps make it even longer than what Pico Web does today. It wouldn't handle common JS if it lives somewhere in your dependency tree. So, yeah, this is all very early days trying to explore how we can support this both from tooling, natively on the web, and then, you know, have it be as easy as NPM install getting you up and running. Now, what impact would a finalized module loader spec have on all of this? Not just Pico Web, but the whole problem in general that that that's what i think has been the murkiest part of this is that it's not just a what can the platform support it's also what is the ecosystem already doing and containing you know mm-hmm. npm is what 900,000 packages coming up on 100 like a million and it's a lot it's big and that is a giant ecosystem of outdated no longer maintained legacy packages that are still right. pretty heavily used mm-hmm. um even if we get the web to a place where okay now 
it supports all these things. What do we do about those? You know, what do we do about the packages that are no longer maintained? It's going to be hard. I think that's the hardest problem of all this is not just building the platform up to a point where it supports all these things, but then what do you do about the old stuff? Do we have to fork NPM or is there some way to bring all that along with us? Yeah, I mean, the way I always think about the the size of the NPM ecosystem is kind of like the the biomass of insects. Like <laughs> there's it's huge, and I think they they outweigh humans by some considerable margin, is yeah. my understanding. Right. Um, and the stuff is everywhere, but I mean, it just both from a practical and also a philosophical point of view. I mean, something that I wonder about is the lack of a top down direction in this type of thing. So if you're doing like Mac or iOS development or, or that type of thing, there is a very top-down direction in that your APIs come from Apple and here are your guidelines. This is this is what you work with it. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're doing web development with JavaScript and then front-end, back-end, like you can do whatever you want. And it's allowed some pretty amazing things to develop. But the downside is that everyone has like their different framework and their different way of doing things. I mean, do you have any thoughts on whether there would be some benefit to standardizing on some of this or would the the negatives of, of not allowing that kind of organic growth outweigh that? Yeah, I'm, I'm really torn on this question. On one hand, like if we, you know, it's always, it's always so easy to say, you know, this is actually, okay, I think we figured it out. React is great. We love JSX. Let's just make JSX standard and, uh, mm-hmm. and bring that into the web platform. And now you don't need all this uh, tooling related to compiling that down. Right. Um, on the flip side, if we'd said that about like, you know, let's make jQuery a part of the web platform. Um, I guess in some ways we did take the best parts of it, but it's in other happened. ways, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I guess it, like at what point does that kind of kill the innovation that would have caused, you know, us moving to React? Um, do we either hinder ourselves by not allowing kind of a new idea to take root and have it have to compete with the platform and people saying, well, that's not the way the platform works. Sorry. I don't know the answer there. Yeah. I, I like, I definitely see the problem with JavaScript fatigue and that there are just so many different ways to build web apps. Mm-hmm. Part of that is good competition and healthy. Um, part of it is I think just the fact that you need so much tooling means that for every tool that you need, now there are options there. When before it was just, okay, what front end web framework do you want? And you had to choose between three and then that was the only choice you really made. I don't know what the, what the right problem to solve is there, but I definitely see there's a problem. And a, a concern that I have is the longevity of code. So yeah. for your average website, it doesn't really matter that much if you have to rebuild it every, you know, three or four years. Right. But as we're building more and more apps and we're building more and more app-ish behavior, then we really kind of do want that code to be around for a long time. And there, there are some code bases that have been around for decades right? yeah. that yeah. are running various things. And uh, just the the rate of churn, I, I don't know, it seems like it can't be sustainable if we're talking about code that we actually care about keeping around for any length. Of yeah. Time. Has anyone checked the uh, Space Jam website lately? Is that still up and running? That's <laughs> <laughs> still working Chrome 100, whatever we're on. get a GDPR uh, update, though, which was really disappointing. Oh. Um, yeah. Everything. It, 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 I hate GDPR. That's a anyway. bummer. But I, I know exactly what you're saying, though, Fred, because like I... You know, I, I've invested more time in learning Vue than anything else. And then I've been looking around. I've been like, oh, you know, React looks uh, looks kind of cool because React Native lets me get back into doing some uh, iOS type stuff. And then also Gatsby looks really cool. And then Rich Harris announces Svelte 3. And I start going through that. 
And I'm like, holy crap. Like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. This looks even yeah. cooler. Like, yeah. I'm, and I'm, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and you're right. It, if those standards, yeah. yeah, if those standards were adopted, and let, let's say React is it, we're basing everything on React. You're right. Like, would Svelte have even happened? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So I'd, I'd rather we just solve the problem of like, there are just so many choices to make. Can we reduce the world of choices in that? Can we reduce, you know, okay, I'm using Webpack and now here's this whole plugin ecosystem I need to start making choices about. Or I'm using Babel and here's this whole uh, Babel plugin ecosystem I'm trying to worry about. Um, is there just a way to reduce the world of choices so that each of those choices, when it branches off into five things, you know, that's okay. That's something that we actually want to look at versus the ones that are just solving a problem. Um, can we just get rid of the problem? Well, I may be misunderstanding you, but are you going uh, full Thanos here? Like you want to get rid of half of it? <laughs> yeah, only half, exactly half. I think that's the only way to do it, really. Okay. <laughs> we I'll, can't I'll choose. <laughs> so just indiscriminate, choose. indiscriminately yeah. get rid of, randomly get rid of half of it and start again? I think once NPM, here's what I'm saying. I'm getting on the record saying this. Once NPM gets to a million packages, we yeah. go down to 500,000. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, just, <laughs> I think I yeah. am in that subreddit. So no one, no one take this too seriously. <laughs> yeah. But okay. So let's say we did that. Like, would that be a problem? I mean, a lot of it would be nonsense Depends. that no one needs, right? It Depends on what goes, right? Yeah. I think yeah. there is an interesting thing, which I think some people are starting to look at, um, which is that really, let's say you wanted to, let's say we wanted to update the, modernize the NPM ecosystem, right? All right. um, let's let's bring everything to ESM. And let's say that actually wasn't very expensive for each package. Um, it's just a question of where do you start? You can probably get most uses of NPM. Like, I, I can't remember the exact numbers on it, but like the top 100 packages are like 95% of the downloads off of them. Right, um, right. Or something to that effect where it's actually, you can get a lot of mileage after over just looking at like the most popular packages. The problem there is then what do you do when everyone needs one out of the remaining 5%? If that takes down your entire app, then obviously that's not, you know, not really a starter. Well, I, I like the fact that the project that you're doing is kind of a stepping stone to get there though, right? So you're providing yeah. a way to find these things. So like you said, discoverability is a problem. And then you're also providing a easy way for people to then start using it. Yeah, I think the biggest win here which is what was stopping because i've been i've been looking in the space for a while now the whole thing was great i can choose modern packages um mm -hmm. like the polymer community has always done a good job of their packages are always very modern they always do imports by file path and all that um, that's mm -hmm. great but the second that that relies on something that maybe isn't as modern um you built this great package you did everything right but you depended on something that was providing real value to you that wasn't necessarily as maybe let's say the the uh, maintainer, you know, gave up after a year. It's no longer maintained. Or like the pad left problem that happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, it's not so much a malicious uh, maintainer and more just like a not right. modern package. What Pico Web sure. is able to do is as long as you choose as the app builder, modern dependencies, it will do its best to handle the rest. So let's say you choose a modern dependency and that happens to depend on something that is still common JS, right? If you just tried to ship that, it would never import it because it's using common JS and all these other things. Well, Pico Web, by bringing it all into these single dependency JavaScript files, it can actually handle all those problems for you. So it really does allow you to only worry about your dependencies. And then Pico Web takes care of anything going on in your tree that might be a little funky. Um, so it does, yeah, a step in the right direction is definitely kind of the focus here, which is that 
let's at least let you choose things that are modern. And then if they're now, maybe those packages didn't have the same bar for themselves. We'll, we'll handle that. We'll take care of that. I mean, I feel some people like, like Matt and, and, and Jonathan, maybe they, they, they may wonder what the catch is here because a lot of people, like we've looked around at the, the tooling that's required to get anything done. And we're like, it can't be that easy. Yeah, it, it really is. I just wonder if it's the same. So I, we were discussing this earlier. There's kind of like you find yourself in a rock and a hard place where you either choose something like Webpack that's going to do everything you need to do, but then it's ungodly complicated. Or you end up going with something like, I think somebody mentioned Laravel Mix or even like Vue CLI, some of these tools, and mm-hmm. which is great and easy. But then, oh, I need to generate critical CSS or I need to do this or I need to do that. How do I, you know? How do I work this into my uh, build system? But it seems like what you're saying is you just start with Pika and as you need to add things, you can do that however you like, or it's easy enough to migrate to Webpack if it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially the, if not the promise, at least what we're going for, which is that it is solving the dependencies problem, which is how do you get NPM the dependencies to run on the web? If that's your only problem, then, then that's all you need. If you have other problems that come up, you can now find those tools that solve those problems or then move to Webpack where that's your platform of solving these problems. And I heard Andrew earlier say something like, you know, it's just as easy as putting a script tag in. I mean, is is Pika, so it is outputting bundles, right? So like how would we, because like if we're coming from Webpack, I guess we're probably used to using like a manifest.json file to figure out, you know, where our where our bundles are and how to name them. Is there something similar in Pika or is it just literally like a script tag and everything works? So I'd say well, the script tag is really just what is already pointing to your app, right? So let's just use the, right. the basic app where it's a HTML file and it points to some like index.js, which you wrote. Um, okay. That's the entry point to your app. In that JS file, which is ESM, you know, you've written with imports and export statements. Mm-hmm. Um, you just import instead of, again, let's use React as the, uh, as the package of choice because we all, we all have used it at some point. Um, instead of import React, you just do import slash web modules slash React JS. Oh, so web modules is the folder. React.js is the bundle dependency. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And essentially, that's instead of actually adding new script tags somewhere in your files, you're just changing the imports as you already do them. If yeah. that even sounds like too much and you feel comfortable adding Babel to your site, so again, not to web app, uh, or sorry, Webpack, not to Webpack, but to actually your source folder running Babel and all that and basically creating like a lib folder that you're going to serve instead. Then you can add a Babel plugin that basically does that transformation for you. So I definitely recommend checking out our readme where we kind of go through all this. It's pretty straightforward in terms of the transform you need to do if you're migrating an old package or an old app. And then if you're building the new thing, you just point to that web modules directory instead. So I want to know how it works under the hood where it is detected that all of these packages that we imported from our index.js are using a common module in let's just call it Lodash just for mm-hmm. uh, just for the fun of it. How does it then load that? Does it dynamically load that as so a it, entirely set? Like, would I see it in my web request history as a separate request going out for that thing? So yeah, let's keep we'll keep the example going and we'll just replace yeah. React with Lodash. Let's say we actually want to import Lodash instead. It depends. Let's say on React the wants to impl- Let's say React. Let's say we use React and React imports Lodash. Okay. What happens? So what happens? At, that, at the point of install. So the whole point of Pico Web is to be basically as simple as NPM install. So you can either run it immediately after that yourself, 
or you can put it as a prepare script, I think is the correct term, which is that NPM will run it for you after you run NPM install. Right. Um, that's where the magic happens. So PicoWeb runs install for you. It installs your dependencies. And what that does is it looks at your no modules folder and React is your dependency. That's the one that you really want to care about. That's the one that you depend on. Mm-hmm. It takes that as the entry point and then it bundles in everything from React and everything from React's dependencies and everything from the dependencies of those dependencies, sucks it all up into one JS file. And this is what we've all been doing with Rollup and Webpack today. So it actually already has support built in. We, we essentially just let Rollup do its thing, which is when I find a common JS file in this tree, I know how to handle that. Um, I know how to take that in. And as I add it to this React.js, this final file that contains everything that React would have imported had it just done its thing, it knows how to pull that in and just basically um, inline it in the correct way, turning the common JS syntax into its just internal file structure. So does that end up as a separate request though? Like in my network browser, would I see? No, it's all one one JS file. So that's a great point, which is that the promise is that you know you can use view source again in your app in your dependencies, but if you have some giant, let's say it needed to take in all of Lodash for some for reasons, mm-hmm. um, if it only used one thing from Lodash, it would be smart enough to tree shake that. But for whatever reason, we're using everything. That React file would probably get pretty big. Um, it wouldn't be right. minified unless you wanted it to be, unless you were serving for production. But basically, if you were using it just for dev and you didn't pass a, like you know some sort of production flag to Pika. It would be a big file. It wouldn't be minified, but it would be a big file that you'd have to go through. Um, so yeah, it's all inlined into one JS file. Um, and then it uses code splitting where if there's a common dependency between two dependencies, so uh, this example is kind of <laughs> kind of tail spinning, but if two of your dependencies import one common thing, Rollup again is smart enough to pull that out and have that be a separate request. Okay, that, that's that's my question, right? So if if more than one thing is using Lodash, that's going to be spit out into a separate file that will then be a separate request that I will see in my uh, network browser. Yes. So all okay. common chunks or whatever you want to call it or dependencies get spit out into their own bundle. It's like a common. Yeah, yeah a common. Or if, and I think it even does it smart enough, like little smaller common chunks. So... Um, What's nice about all this is that you don't need to worry about how this works. You just are importing those JS files. And we get to, again, use this whole history of bundlers that are smart enough to do this for you. So it it still relies on the same magic as Webpack, but it just kind of pushes it out to a very specific problem, which is just dependency. I apologize if you've already answered this earlier. Um, But so suppose if you wanted to do something where you, you didn't actually want to load a chunk unless it was needed. Is there any way to do something like that? So like if the user clicks on a part of your page that has a component that has code that needs to run, then that code is loaded at that at that time, but not if they don't. Yeah, that's that's really the default here where if you've built your app that way, so let's say you click a button and then it dynamically imports that next part of your app. Right. Um, that would be the first time that the browser ever sees the imports of that part of your app. So your dependencies aren't in one single dependency file. They're split out into their own single dependency, you know, per dependency chunks. You know, React.js, Lodash.js, if you're relying on that directly. So that if you built your app in that way, where it dynamically loads different pages, that would be the first time your browser ever, okay, now I know which dependencies this chunk loads. I'll go out and do those. So it actually ends up being, by default, much more efficient in how it sends you JavaScript. 
Um, you don't need any big config to have that happen. You just use the browser's natural import and caching, where the first time it sees a new file, it'll just follow those imports. What do you think, Matt? I think that if time travel was possible and I could order <laughs> these things by uh, complexity, I would have gone hey, from... said no end game, no end game to <laughs> I, I would have gone from Gulp to Pika to maybe Webpack, but probably not Webpack. Um, but actual chronology and lack of time travel does not allow that. I would definitely recommend uh, checking out our README where we have a whole example section. So a few of them from you know the, the creation of this package and then a few are community provided as well. How to use Pika with, uh, I think there's one for React, one for Vue. Um, I can't remember the full list, but there is a set of, you know they're all glitch or code sandbox. So you can see them running in your browser. Um, definitely recommend checking that out. Can you do so like a single fall components with you? I just, I'm sorry, just out of curiosity with PK. Yeah, sure. What was the question? Like if you had, if you wanted to do single fall components, like uh, view files, would you be able to do something like that with PK? Or does that require like a bundler? It kind of, it depends on, and this is where my lack of knowledge of the view ecosystem comes into play. But if you were relying on view dependencies, you know, it handles however they were published. If you were building a view app, you would still, because they don't run natively on the web, right? Those .view mm. files, you would need mm -hmm. some sort of build stuff. Um, right. So view would require that you either through Babel, um, so you can still skip, skip the bundler, use Babel, build your app, and then serve that. Or if maybe it's just easier, again, I don't know the ecosystem, maybe just use Webpack at that point. Um, it all depends on what the tooling is available for solving that problem versus you know this whole world of problems, which is where we're at now. Yeah, and I kind of feel like once you get into the realm of using a front-end framework like Vue, React, Angular, like you're you're kind of in that more app-ish space anyway. Not that you couldn't use PicoWeb for those as well, but I'm thinking that where PicoWeb is the most interesting is for someone that just wants to to make a page and they just want to get going and they want to start they want to use they want to stand on the shoulders of giants, right? But they don't want to have to figure out how the giants got there to begin with. Right. That's, <laughs> or yeah, deal with their bigger fight. <laughs> yeah. Story of my life. Pika Package. <laughs> <laughs> PikaPackage.com, I think, is a good example of that, where we've built it using PikaWeb. It works. It's gotten us pretty far. And now we're looking at some sort of server-side rendering. Um, hmm. So because we're trying to dog food, we're trying to like kind of figure out how that would work still with PikaWeb. Or do we just use next.js, in which case it's gotten us this far, we thank it for it, and then uh, we use next.js, which I think requires a bundler by default. So yeah, you know, it's, it is both a success story in that way where it's gotten us this far and we haven't had to deal with it, and now we're ready to take on that responsibility, that extra effort, because it gives us a value um, that we need, which is server-side rendering. Come on, Fred. So right now, never surrender. <laughs> oh, you should see me trying to see how I, okay, well, if I make this change to next.js, maybe it'll still, it's just like, okay, at a certain point, <laughs> this is still a success story. Um, but you, you never know. I might figure out a way to do it. So right now I'm working on an e-commerce site, not to live in the past, but we still have a significant portion of customers that are on IE11. And so we can't just say no to IE11. Uh, and I have to think some listeners might say the same thing, like this all sounds great, but for the next year, two years, who knows, I still have to support IE11. You were saying that, is that not possible at all just because so much is ES6 or could you, you know, put Babel between? Yeah, yeah if, I was, does, if I was a good work? podcast guest, I would have done this research ahead of time 
And I'm suddenly very insecure in my answer, which I think is that <laughs> I think is that none of the ES module syntax is supported. So okay. it actually wouldn't yep. really the whole like the problem you're the way you solve the problem is not supported essentially, which is to use the native ES module syntax. If your browser doesn't mm -hmm. support that, then it's kind of hard to buy into this world. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so no great way to polyfill is now. If I'm if I'm completely wrong on that, I would love just a like cut to someone saying okay. like Fred is completely <laughs> wrong. Ignore him. Um, but I believe that's the the case. Um, what is one really interesting project which I can't remember the name of, but has recently picked up some steam, which is just a polyfill for IE11. It essentially choose what you need, and it just basically load this before you load any of your code. And it just works. Yeah, it's I think it's polyfill.io. We, oh, yeah, yeah, we're using that for a couple of things. It, it's really nifty. Yeah. yeah, I've used I've used that as well, and it is pretty cool. So, yeah. so here's an idea for you for that transitional state. So that that Webpack config that everyone's making fun of uh, that I that I did. <laughs> one one of the things that it does is it will spit out both a modern and a legacy bundle. Um, so the the modern bundle has JavaScript. That's it's all ESM stuff. And you can use the script type equals module syntax where you could have, you potentially could have Pika generating a uh, web modules directory. Um, and then it could also generate a legacy web modules directory. And then you that's could a, selectively, yeah, yeah you, could a great do, idea. you could do a script uh, type equal, equals module that points to the modern web module thing. And then you use that no module trick and that will point to, you know, browsers that don't understand modules will then automatically load that deprecated JavaScript. And, and there you go. You still have the simplicity of PicoWeb where you just run it, it generates it, but you get a modern web folder and you get a legacy web folder. And then you can just use that little HTML trick to load the right thing and away you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great idea. I think the tricky part there becomes, well, you're importing by dependency. How do you do that in a world where web native imports don't work? Um, so would it install, I guess, we have, would have to figure out, does it install all of your dependencies into one JS file that then like on window.something, there's this whole world. It basically is why we all chose bundling in the first place, which is like, oh man, right. this is too complicated. Let's just single JavaScript bundle. Here you go. It works on all browsers. Well, I'm just glad that you've agreed to having this done. So, what, like, <laughs> well, couple, I, couple that's weeks. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get that to you on Monday, right? When does this go out? <laughs> um, no, I think what would be what actually, as we talk about this, why can't we just like basically also ship that polyfill for you? So it's in your web modules. If you need it, you import it. If you don't, you don't. Maybe is that the same solution to the uh, problem? That would be interesting to look into as well. Well, Fred, I'm just saying, like. Patrick has got a project to ship, so I mean, you know, you better get this done pretty soon. Oh man, am I working weekends now on this? <laughs> yeah, I, I got to stand on someone's shoulders. Come on now. <laughs> it's still such early days on all this. It's just, it's really exciting seeing, honestly, different people starting to peel back the layers here and realizing, like, oh wow, how would this work in a world where we didn't use bundlers? Um, there's still so many questions there that just don't have the same level of support and answers. So, if anyone's looking for a project, uh, a call for help basically on this whole, not even on Pika, just on like, what does the world look like? The world of web or the uh, world of front end development look like in a world where you don't need a bundler. Uh, that's been really exciting. I think there's this weird constant anxiety in the JavaScript ecosystem, which is where, well, you know, 
I don't really want to adopt this because I don't know if it's going to support X, Y, or Z, or I'm going to wait until it's more widely supported. And you're kind of left in this weird state where it's, it's, it's kind of scary to then go in and and try some of this new stuff because, you know, it, it, you're almost paralyzed in a way. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a real, that anxiety has is rooted in a real fear, which is that especially for anything that's kind of like new, front-end web development, by definition, it's like, oh, and then we're doing this breaking change next week, and then, oh, we're dropping support for this browser that week. Um, I bet Android developers feel the same way. Like, there's so many different targets and so many tweaks and variations of where your app may live. You never know what exactly how it's going to run. um, The web is similar. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's totally fair. I'd say the one, again, the reason why I would say at least to check out PicoWeb is that it's just solving this one small problem. So if we ever made a breaking change or did anything else, you haven't invested time in PicoWeb, hopefully not. Um, hopefully it was just this tool you used, you got up and running. And if you wanted to move away from it, it would be, you know, it's such a small solution to a big problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. I, I, I didn't know what to make of it at first. I'm like, run NPM in your browser. Oh, gosh, what's this? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. really, <laughs> yeah, it's just a thin layer that just makes what should be easy so much easier yeah. from yeah. what I can tell. So I would yeah. definitely recommend to anyone try it out. Um, and know that it's not a big, and you'll, you'll see that when you run it, it's essentially just a different NPM install that works on the web. Your, your comment about Android actually made me think of something that I think is, it's completely unrelated, but you guys might find at least somewhat entertaining. So my, my wife is working on a team with a team of Android developers. She's doing design and stuff. Hmm. And one of the things that the design called for was a, uh, a tool tip. Okay. Android natively doesn't have tooltips. Like, that's not a thing. But, you know, too bad. They wanted a tooltip. So the the developers tried to do it, tried to do it, couldn't figure out how to do it. They said, it's too hard. We're not going to do it. And I'm thinking, like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. So I just Googled Android (laughs) tooltip library. Boom. Package pops up, does everything you need it to do. Good to go. Mm -hmm. I said, here, you can show this to them. And they, they could use this. Right? <laughs> no. If if they didn't write the, and and this kind of illustrates because there actually is, and I know because I come originally from kind of that app development world. There's a totally yeah. different mindset, and the mindset is not invented here. We're not going to use it, right? So the, mm-hmm. no, we we can't use this random third party package. And I'm just thinking, like from my perspective, as someone who's doing web development, can you imagine if that was my point of view? Like I couldn't do anything. Yeah, like they literally wouldn't be able to build nothing because it's second nature to us to go out and just grab package, does what we want, start using it, away we go. And then one of the other objections that was raised was that, well, what happens if this person that made this GitHub repository, what happens if they go away? What happens if they decide to delete it? And I'm, I'm thinking, as my wife was telling me this, that this was one of the objections, I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, these people have never used GitHub, right? Because you just fork the repo, right? right. I mean, that's how he's the old gray beard developers, it sounds like, yeah. Well, and I'm not, I'm not insulting them. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just trying to point out like how different the mentality is yeah. in terms of like it's totally second nature for us to just go out and grab this thing, fork the repo, don't have to worry about what happens, submit pull requests, you know, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. I, that's just that's just not even in the in their vocabulary. Yeah. You know? We have, I mean, we have that kind of analogy on our own side of this, which is like, imagine explaining NPM to the security person at your company, or if you don't have uh, one, imagine you had one. 
It is 900,000 packages. Some of them that are 10 years old or, yeah. or about just about. And we don't know who the maintainers are. We don't know what their security level was. And if any right. of them push a bug fix, maybe it's a bug fix. Maybe it's a virus. Um, we don't know. You don't know. But for that Create React app, for that example, you're pulling in 2,000 of them. And... It's and I know just, a lot of conversion numbers start with zero, but don't worry about that either. <laughs> yeah, don't, you know, if it breaks, we'll just push a fix. But like, and a lot of these, oh, and then of course, NPM to support a lot of these more powerful dependencies has the ability to just run an arbitrary, arbitrary script after install. So it's not even like, oh, you know, your dependency itself was bad. It's just they added script, you know, virus. I don't know what a, a good virus name but, would be. But, but I think part of all of this is that, you know, the web development world comes from a fast moving disposable world in terms of like, eh, if the if the code only lasts a few years, like I was mentioning earlier, if the code only lasts a few years, like that's fine. It's no big deal. Like we're going to do it again anyway. Yeah, Whereas I, people coming from operating system and app development worlds are like, no, we're maintaining this code for a long time. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And well, as and as web development becomes more and more app development. I just think it's really interesting. You know, how does that, those two divergent needs, how do they converge in terms of, well, we still want all of this rapid development stuff that we're doing in this fast moving ecosystem, but we also want to be able to maintain this code for a long time. Like, I don't know how that's going to sort out. Like, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. You know? But it, se- it seems like that's a critical thing that, that Pika is, is not just, if, if you, I don't know, it's like orients itself to asking you know, what do you really need here? Right. I feel like that's an encouraging thing to see uh, as somebody blindly trusting a lot of packages <laughs> and a lot of complexity and wondering how that's going to play out. Yeah, that's a great point. I should I should focus on the security person at the companies to to help promote PicoWeb because really, I mean, that's, you know, the Create React app example, 2000 dependencies purely just to get you up and running on a web app. It's not even, we're not even talking about which front end dependencies do you pull in. We're just talking about which tools do you use to build the thing you've built. Um, mm-hmm. If you can get rid of 2,000 vulnerabilities or potential vulnerabilities, that's, you know, I think that's a big sell for uh, someone who just like does not understand why we allow this to happen. Um, you know, the security person, the person who's focused on security. It's just because it's the way we do things that we're able to all run this in our very secure production, you know, company machines. Yeah. It's like what weird chain of needs and decisions got you to this point right exactly (laughs) because you're right like if you unraveled it you'd be like no that's not where we want to (laughs) be but i've been i've been in two of those conversations now where someone has said no and it's just like well that's kind of the only way to do it how do we build this app if we can't do that and then you say that enough times it's kind of like well i mean okay yeah if that's the way everyone does it but really like why is that the way everyone does it that's that's the question yeah. Well, and I love the fact that PicoWeb is is asking these questions and that it's kind of challenging our you know, kind of the assumptions that we've made about, you know, how things could be done. And I think it's very similar to why I think uh, Svelte is kind of interesting is that it's it's challenging our assumptions about, well, hey, you know what? React is actually not reactive and there are better or faster, more performant ways of doing stuff. Right. Yeah. I love the I idea of Svelte for packages because it's like we just compile away when we publish this thing. So you don't need to be React to use this. You don't need to be Angular. You know, it's just, it's all 
one kind of common web component, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. So regardless, we're going to get into apps. We're we're having him on soon. We we don't want to. <laughs> we're going to be getting that getting. Okay, I've said too much. <laughs> Stay in your lane, Fred. Uh. <laughs> Ask a burning uh, softball question. Do it. Uh, why Pika? I'm fascinated how things end up named the way they are. How did you? Why Pika? Um, Pika package was the dumb reason. It just sounded like a nice alliteration. Um, it does, it sounds great. That's why I'm curious. It, you, it's you know. a fast little mouse that seemed like it kind of I don't know. Just, just it was one of the first options that I came to, and it. Uh, it well, Pika, well. Pika sounds kind of like Pico, you know, like small. Yeah. Or Pico or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not after a Pikachu. That's not it. No, it is definitely not. Oh, okay. Yes. No movie. Because you might get though. sued if that was your mascot. Yes, <laughs> my lawyers have informed me that it is very much not. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> no, it's. It is in the dictionary, so I assume that's fine. It is just a small, small little fast mouse, which is really what we're trying to build. Small little fast web apps. Fair enough. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmo.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at devmo.fm, and we'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmo.fm website. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Matt Stein. I'm Jonathan Melville. And Fred, I want to really, really thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. It was a great conversation. Thank you all for having me. Really enjoyed talking about it. And yeah, everyone, please try out PicoWeb. You will not be disappointed. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Patrick, are you playing this right now? Like, live in studio? It's all right. I got to record over it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't not supposed to talk. <laughs> it, it, it's okay. We'll yeah, let it go. Yeah, I mean, we'll let it go. People, people are pausing at the end anyway. They're skipping to the next episode. They're getting more dev, dev mode. <laughs> I just so have this I'm image told. in my head of, of Andrew sitting with his guitar, making sure it's all plugged in. <laughs> all right, everybody, uh, check out our podcast. And then he's just so good at reproducing that. Right. It's like WTF. He's just jamming. 40 yeah. episodes and I've never missed a <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, so I'm consistent. sorry.